Rising up back on the street. Did my time, took my chances. Oh, get out of here. Yeah, okay. Welcome to Dragon's Cast, a podcast brought to you by Drexel alums who all have different takes on whether it is or is not a coup in Zimbabwe. But first, we discuss Drexel basketball. With me today, I have Marshall Fleming. Hey, hey. Rob Falcone. A.K.A. Phil Martin. <laughs> Nick Intrieri. What up? Back in the booth, 2018. <laughs> was that the long-awaited intro that you had ready from last week? <laughs> Yeah, it was, right. yeah. Okay. You know what? It doesn't work as well when I'm sitting on it for three weeks. But you know, yeah, that was the intro. <laughs> and I am your host, Leon McCodden. This is uh, the first official episode of the 2017-2018 season, and uh, we do have a lot uh, to catch up about today. So, uh, four games in, I guess. Well, five technically, but I'm 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 being nice to, uh, for Marshall. And only counting the four actual D1 games. Thank you. <laughs> Drexel is one and three, not surprisingly, except that the one win was against a team uh, we were probably picked to lose by double digits. And we lost to two teams we could have probably beat. Uh, the, the first of the losses came right in the home opener uh, against Bowling Green, a university that clearly got its name in remembrance of the infamous massacre predicted by our Orange Oracle. But just to set the stage here, we did have some key players out that game. Overton was out because of an injury. Alahan was out because of an NCAA rule associated with him playing for the national Turkish team. And Isabel because of disciplinary reasons. And I think this might have been the first home opener that Bill probably has missed ever, just like this podcast. But uh, Marshall, Nick, and I were there in person, as was Rob. And uh, let's start with you, Marshall. What was the initial take on watching the Dragons in their home opener? Why do you think we blew this game? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say. I, I do want to give the second-year coach a little bit of slack. It's still a majority of a roster that, uh, that he inherited. Uh, he did lose a player late in the offseason to go back to Iceland. So he did have to make some adjustments. And then those key players that uh, you mentioned we were missing. So... I, I do want to give him some slack there. That's a lot to have to account for. Um, I'm more embarrassed by off the court, the fact that we were completely uh, out drowned out by opposing fans from Ohio, not even a local school, but on the court, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just accustomed to losing or expecting to lose at this point that the home opener loss doesn't bother me too much. Although I did fly across the country for it. You did fly across the country for it. And the last year, we had the home opener against Hartford, and it was kind of a big game. We won, and it was pretty exciting, and it kind of at least carried over the momentum a little bit, it, and the crowd was into it. This year, we couldn't seem to get that same momentum going, even in the very first game. Uh, R- Rob, Nick, what did you guys think was missing, I guess? Well, from what I remember, um, I actually thought we had this game in the bag. You know, we, were, we, were, we didn't have Isabel. Um, it was really our first good look at Harper. We, we saw him at Villanova. Um, Kirk, Kirk Lee was definitely off his game this game. Um, yeah, he was not, he was not hitting this, that floater he normally hits. He was turning the ball over a little bit. Um, but I thought we did enough to win. And I, there was a critical run where we were up maybe eight or 10 in the second half. And there was a couple calls that went against us, not blaming this, but there was some tough calls that we got. And they went on like a 19-0 run. 
And I just remember we just could not, couldn't stop them for, and, and then they, they turned a 10 point deficit into a 12 point lead. Uh, and this is midway through the second half. And, uh, you know, and I think that I don't, to echo Marshall's point, um, you know, you're, you're in your home court, it's your home opener, you know, where's the crowd support? Get loud. You know, there wasn't really, their fans from Ohio were louder than our fans. Um, and, you know, I think that's a critical time where, where that really hurts when you can't, when you're giving up a 19-0 run in the second half. Uh, you know, I, you know, players play the games and everything, but that's the thing that sticks out to me. You know, we, we, we weren't playing great. I think we were playing good enough to win and, and we just couldn't close it out. Yeah, it's interesting to see how we had gone from so many years where in the throes of a big run like that, you knew that we could get the stops but didn't know if we had the firepower to come back in a game. And in this case, and I think in the season, we'll see that we have the firepower and the depth, but it's going to be a question of can we get the stops to, to stop the bleeding. And so it's kind of interesting to just see how the paradigm has shifted a, a complete 180. Um, and you hope that, and I will get to it later in the podcast, um, but you hope that with the tenacity that they showed in, in a couple of these other games, you can maybe offset the lack of um, just just the shift in, in strategy uh, that we've seen going from a, a predominantly defensive focus to what's now looking like a predominantly offensive focus as it relates to coming out of and stopping runs like we saw against Bowling Green. Yeah, the one thing I was surprised by in this game, in the first half, we seemed to get a lot of second chance points because we were shooting a lot more and Austin would like kind of crash and get uh, tip in and he, he looked like a man possessed out there. In the second half, oh, you're, uh, Nick, you were right. There was, there was like a series of foul, foul calls. I think at one point I looked up, it was like nine fouls, uh, called on us, was a three to on bowling green. And that definitely changed the momentum of the game. And we kind of switched to a more cautious possession kind of basketball where we just started holding the ball a lot longer, passing it around, not really, uh, kind of running our more, you know, run and gun thing that we try to do a lot more. So I, I think that kind of hurt us a lot and we could never recover. And it, 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 what hurts even more is to lose to a team that's colors as orange and tan. It, 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 <laughs> the Cleveland Browns of college basketball. Yeah. <laughs> well, they are from Ohio, I guess. This was a bad loss in my head. The more, more I uh, think about it and talk out loud with you guys and remember uh, and I'm looking at the box score. I mean, Kirk Lee was 3 of 14, 0 of 5 from 3 in this game. Troy Harper, I don't even remember him being this bad, was 1 of 11, 0 of 4 from 3. Uh, and we didn't have Isabel. Um, so this is, when he could do okay, Austin Williams played great in that game. He was our leading scorer. Yeah, most of his points came in the first half. You know, we should have won this. Even without Isabel, we should we should have beaten this team. Uh, so it was a little bit of a disappointing loss. Um, but you know, it is what it is. And you know, I I think all of us are, are hard, obviously hardcore Drexel fans. All of us have traveled to different games and uh, and road teams and 
have sacrificed. And I, I know what it's like going into a gym, being one of five fans and taking over an arena just because of your enthusiasm. And that's what Bowling Green did to us. And I think that it's kind of, I'm a 35-year-old man. If I'm starting the defense chance, there's something wrong with the, with with our our spirit or something because I'm too old for this shit. You know, someone else needs to be starting it. And me, Marshall, and Phil, and Leon, and Rob probably were the only ones fucking chanting defense. In a, in when you're when you're tying the game up in the second half, I think the cheer team participated. The cheer team and the band, <laughs> you know, I, I mean that, that's that's a shitty home field advantage or home court advantage. That's all I have to say. No, I, I'd have to agree with that. That definitely, it it didn't seem like them there was enough, uh, emotion, maybe enough passion coming out of that student section that we were typically used to. And that was disappointing. And and I hope that's not a, I hope that's not something that's indicative of things to come, but that if at least for the first home game, I, I was definitely a little disappointed. Yeah. I'm trying to think back because when I was a freshman, the first game I went to first men's game, I think there was a women's game before the men's game, but the first men's game I went to was we oddly enough had not the one team Florida Gulf coast. Uh, the last time we played one of those that I was okay with. Uh, and we crushed them like 73, 37. I didn't know a thing about Florida Gulf coast or anything like that, but I remember Rob was the one who got me to come to the game and said, here's a shirt stand and chant. And I did. And so did a hundred other or more than a hundred other students. And there was no, it's not like the team had had massive success the season before they had like a 500 season the year before. Uh, I'm sure that was like an easy game to get into and, and cheer for, but it, I don't know what it is that they can't get students who are there to stand and chant and create that home court advantage. I just, I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, maybe we need to talk, uh, talk to the uh, DAC pack leadership this year, but that's definitely a takeaway, I guess, for us, even from some of the conversations we've had in the Slack channel. But uh, with that, let's try to forget that game and fly over to Paradise or just maybe drive over to Lynchburg, Virginia, specifically the campus of Liberty University, which hosts the Paradise Jam. Now, first off, kudos to Liberty for donating the proceeds uh, from this tournament to the hurricane relief efforts. And I encourage anyone and everyone listening to don- donate to the cause as well. I'll put a link in the show notes. But I did find it a little ironic the school that ended up hosting an event that had to be moved due to a hurricane that leveled the U.S. Virgin Islands was the one led by one of the more outspoken climate science or in general common sense deniers. But hey, it's a Christian college in a sleepy town as they continue to drill into you know the, on my head at, during the commercial. So <laughs> I feel like it could have been a multitude of other places, but they really miss an opportunity here by having it in a place pretty far uh, pretty far away from paradise, at least in this life. Do we know if Drexel put in a bid to host? I was under the impression for some reason that they did, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know one way or the other whether we did or we didn't. Um, but another sidebar, uh, you mentioned the commercial, Leon. Can we give a shout out to Tadas Kararinas for the cameo <laughs> in the Finlay Prep commercial? But I, I was hoping somebody else noticed that too, uh, Rob. He was, he's the, he was in uh, featured in the commercial for I think that TV show they have called Flying High on Flow Hoops. So for twenty nine dollars a month, you can watch how 
the Lithuanian player became the man he was today at Drexel. <laughs> so did, did you guys, were you, so you guys all got the subscription for Flow Hoops for $29 a month? Did everybody jump I, in on that? I did not. I did not watch any of those games. I think I fucked up because I think, didn't it say something about $20 a month? Uh, and I clicked that. And then I realized later that I signed up for the annual subscription. <laughs> the one-time fee. <laughs> I think they, they fucked me because it said, oh, only $20 a month. But if you read like right next to it, it said, oh, but you got to pay it all up front. So did you pay it all up front? I don't know. I just clicked buttons, man. I was like five minutes late to the game. I was just like clicking buttons <laughs> and putting credit card numbers in. I definitely signed up for the annual subscription. On the bright side, you can follow the entire season of Flying High. So there's that. That is a bright side. Uh, there was a co- couple of the random TV shows. But overall, though, from a quality standpoint, I was uh, pleasantly surprised uh, by, by, by Flow Hoops. Uh, I was able to airplay that and... Pretty much had no problem from from, uh, from any sort of uh, any issues with it cutting off or anything. I don't know if you guys had any problems. Twenty nine dollars for three games. I got to see all three games, so it was worth it. I think. Yeah, I missed the first one, and at that point, I wasn't going to do the second. It's funny you say the quality was good. That was part of the reason I didn't was because I think after the first game, uh, they were showing highlights or something on their website, and their website wouldn't load the already. Like, not a live stream, just like a highlight video, um, and it wouldn't load properly. So I was like, this doesn't speak well for their broadcast. Um, so that's why I didn't do it, because I think we've all been subjected to some pretty crappy feeds from uh, tournaments and away teams over the years that I didn't really want to pay 30 bucks for that. But I'm glad that it worked for you guys. Uh, but getting to, the, I guess, the Houston game, which was the, uh, the only win we had in that four-game stretch... Uh, this this game definitely, at least for me, uh, made that twenty nine dollars that I spent that worth it because not only was it a W, but it was also an example where we played like upside down Drexel team. I don't know why, but we kept some things consistent, like our inability to rebound. But we we definitely snaked this game from a team that was better than us, and we were able to somehow hang in there and hang in there and seize on an opportunity when it presented itself. So, uh, now, Nick and Marshall, I don't know how much of the game you guys saw this, but uh, Rob, what did you think of this win? Yeah, I think I tore my rotator cuff at one point when I did it aggressive by myself in the condo fist pump. So, I'm in a a sling with with Troy Harper, but it was amazing. I I think that, you know, that's, that's what we all watch for. That's what we all have been fighting so hard to bring back to Drexel is games like that where you can go in and if you're not favored to win like we were in a lot of those um, 2007 and 2012 games um, where our thing is upsetting the team that's paying us in a lot of cases 90 grand to show up and play Um, so to to get back to that was I think hopefully the the, uh, what's going to become the rule and not the exception but yeah, I was I was going bananas. Um, rotator cuff be damned. <laughs> what happened to your rotator cuff? I think I did it twice. Once was where we had like an open three to take the lead and we missed and I did like a rotator cuff movement. You said, you know, too old to be doing things that we were doing before. Well, apparently fist pumping is <laughs> something that I've now outgrown um, to do safely. 
And then at one point when we took the lead or iced it, um, yeah, I, I fist pumped again. In, in absence of other people, it was me and my dog Swaggy F, and he was unenthused. <laughs> so I had to like silently fist pump, and there was a pop there. I think you need a new boxing gym if you're popping your rotator cuff from fist <laughs> pumping. Or a dog that can jump up and high five because he was not giving me <laughs> anything at the moment. <laughs> but the, the, I think this game was also kind of the uh, uh, official Tremaine Isabel party over here. He 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 had 21 points, 16 rebounds, three assists. He pretty much single-handedly probably ensured that we won this game. Now they they had a they had a great player on their team. I forget his first name, Gray, but who put up his I think his career high 37 points against us. But uh, you know, the in the it looked like it, and when the game started at least it looked like he was going to put a lot more points than that, but I was glad to see Tremaine. Uh, pr- probably we got a good glimpse of what Major and Rodney were talking in the off season as far as you know he's gonna he's gonna be something special. Yeah, I'm looking at the box score. Um, no, you know he did well, and 16 rebounds really stands out. You know I saw a little bit about, and I missed I missed this game, but I did um, check the live stats uh, towards the end. Uh, I, w- I wasn't able to watch it, but I saw that we kind of snaked it. Mojica hit a big three at the end, and I saw the highlights later. Um, you know, it's just something we're not used to doing, you know, and it's nice to nice to get one of these types of wins. Looks like we shot really well from the free throw line, which when we get to the the game we just lost, I think was probably the, what hurt us right in the end, but we shot 87% from the free throw line. Uh, you know, Kirk Lee had a solid 16 points. He could have 15. You know, I think kind of having that balance is important when he comes to wins. And, you know, we could have a star that, you know, takes over at the end of the game. But, you know, I don't really think it's feasible to think one guy is going to score 35 points a game every game and we're going to get a lot of wins that way. Like, I I just, you know, I think that's kind of how we were set up last year with Lee and and Rodney. And, you know, I don't think it led to a lot of success. So much as I'm, I love to see Tremaine be unstoppable. I don't want him to be like, you know, he's the only guy that can score. Yeah. I can't speak to that game or any of these tournament games in particular, but regarding balance, I, I don't know. I think the, I think what we are expecting out of a spiker team is a run and gun team at least that's how I understood it. I don't know if you guys would agree or disagree, but a, a running gun team, and I get that he's still building it and players are finding their place in that type of offense, but it seems to me that we weren't even doing that, at least based on the score at halftime. Uh, we were giving up a lot on defense and we weren't running and gunning it because we had, I think, 30 points at the half at one of those games. Maybe it was the third game. Um, but Guys need to find their role, and maybe that takes a little bit of time um, with with changing things up. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not too concerned about balance yet. If we get to game 10 and we're still at this point, then I would probably be concerned about that. Okay, so I think the balance kind of came into play again a lot in that Drake game. But before we get to the Drake game, I just wanted to probably briefly talk about that Mercer game, which was uh... – 
which was a tough loss just because it didn't seem like our guys could do much of anything. Uh, Tremaine seemed to have a better than most people game, but I think what stood out a lot for me in this game, at least, was that was that Kirk Lee only played played a significant portion of the game and could only walked away with two points, which nothing was working for Kirk in that game, and uh, it and we had no answer for their player uh, Holland, who is tearing it up as well. Yeah, I know. I remember Kirk Lee struggling. I, you know, I saw bits and pieces of this one. I thought Mercer was pretty talented. They were better than Drake, in my opinion. You know, I don't know anything about about the team, but they look longer and athletic than Drake. Um, Kirk Lee's having a tough start for the year. You know, I, I'm not sure. Maybe he's just adjusting to the new lineup. It's a lot different this year. Um, I think he's kind of. He's no longer the main focal guard that you need to be guarding. You know, I don't know if that's effect. Maybe he's pressing a little bit. Um, you know, he, you know, we'll get to the uh, Drake game soon, but and he did pretty decent in Drake, but you know, it wasn't like a vintage Kirkley performance, and he was not good in the Mercer game. Um, you know, I think Austin Williams has dropped off a little bit, but no, no one really played well in, in Mercer. Troy Harper didn't do much. Uh, even Isabel only took nine shots, which is interesting. Um, you know, we just could, we just, like you said, we just, nothing was falling early and they took a big lead and we couldn't, we couldn't come back. Yeah. Mercer was definitely a better team, I think, than, uh, than the next game team we play, which, uh, I guess we can jump to the Drake game was probably the second of these, this four game stretch that I thought was definitely winnable. We were still, we were still picked as an underdog. And we started off the game in the first, I guess, 30 seconds looking good. But immediately after that, we didn't, we, we lost the lead and, and, uh, they were, they continued to lead for most of the game and we were able to tie it up in the very, very end and send it to overtime. But, and it would take two overtimes and we'd get a loss. But, uh, what, what, Rob, what do you think we could have done differently in this game to probably walk off with a win as opposed to a double OT loss? You know, I'm torn on this one because, on one hand, so, so proud of the way the team had every opportunity to fold up, and they didn't. They kept fighting, they kept fighting, they kept fighting. And in terms of, um, you know, coming up with an identity, I think that if they compare some of this run and gun that Marshall talked about um, and, and settle into that, but then also come to have grittiness and toughness and resiliency come to define them, I think that that will be pretty happy. So uh, on that hand, you know, I give them a, a huge, huge amount of credit. On the other hand, you know, it's been, it's been four years now. And as, as, you know, a Philly fan that's been mired in several years of the Phillies, the Sixers, tough stretch for the Dragons, um, I, I want to win. And to see a game like that where we were right there, um, just just not come out our way. It was tough. Now then, being objective, you look at it, and we're still, I mean, in that game, a, a ways away from what I think is ultimately going to be our lineup come mid-January. Uh, we were without Demir. We were without uh, Miles Overton. Uh, Troy Harper got hurt relatively early on. Um, I think it was, uh, you know what, I shouldn't say that. I think it was in the second half. But to go into double overtime with you know, missing 30% of what's ultimately going to be their rotation. I think that that's really, really hard to, 
to, to come away with a win, especially when the other guys are gassed. Out of all the losses, I think this one is the, you know, it, it, it stung, but you, go, you look back at it the next day, you know, I, I can, I can accept this one because we, we played pretty well. Our defense could have been better, but um, our defense in the second half in the last five minutes of the game uh, was great. I've, I've, I've never seen our defense better. I think we, we held them without a field goal the last four minutes of regulation, which is, um, you know, pretty incredible for this spiker, uh, no defense emphasis Drexel team. Obviously, Isabel was a stud. 11 for 20, 32 points. Kirk Lee had a bounce-back game. Um, Harper was good. Doles could hit shots. Uh, Mohika came alive towards the end. You know, you wish you kind of saw him. Um, you know, he kind of went missing for a while. He only hits uh, big-time you know, shots, I, I, Nick. He only hits big-time <laughs> shots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when he did. We could have um, you know, we could have used him to hit those free throws at the end at Austin. Austin missed that one. I think we just closed it out. Or in overtime, the first overtime, had we made – I think we missed all our free throws in that first overtime. Um, we shot 78% for the game, but we definitely missed three free throws in overtime, which absolutely killed us. Um, so, you know what, I, I can actually take this a lot. You know, you, know, you don't want to have moral victories, but, uh, you know, I, I thought we played really hard. Um, we showed grit. Um, you know, a couple of ball, the ball didn't bounce our way for a couple of points, but, um, you know, like Rob said, you know, we're going to get Overton, we're going to get Demir. Um, so I think, you know, this, this one is okay. I'm okay with this loss because we played well. Yeah. To your, to your point on free throws, I've said for years that free throws win and lose the game more, win and lose basketball games more than any other aspect of the sport. If you have a team that goes from, I don't know what the national average is for a college basketball team shooting percentage, but if you have a team that's right on average and they go up to 90%, they're going to see a huge increase in their, uh, in their win percentage. It's, it's just a fact. You can't miss free throws. Obviously, you're going to have some misses here and there, but it, it's really just a matter of work. You can't miss free throws at critical points in a game at high volume and expect to win games. And so I, I don't know what kind of work the team puts in it. I know going back to Bruiser, he kind of left it for the guys to figure it out. But when Sammy went from his junior to his senior year, he had a guy, I think it was the golf coach, work on his uh, shot with him. And he became a really solid free throw shooter. And lo and behold, his senior year, we won a lot of games. If he wasn't a, free throw, a good free throw shooter that year, we probably wouldn't have won as many games as we did. So that's, as a fan, to me, one of the most frustrating thing, things to see at any level of team, whether it's Drexel, whether it's the Sixers, whatever it is, when teams miss free throws at high volume, you're going to lose more games than you should. If you just look at that look at that Paradise Jam stretch that we had over there, the two games we shot good from the free throw line, uh, the Drake game we shot 77%. Uh, still, uh, and we were in the game. The Houston game, we shot 87% from the free throw line and we won the game. Exactly. If we shot 87% uh, fr- fr- from, you know, in the Drake game, we probably would have won that game too. So you're absolutely right, Marshall. That makes a huge difference. And what was uh, disappointing for me to see, and I guess the stretch is Austin Williams, uh, maybe I'm imagining this, uh, 
but in the very first, uh, I guess, the exhibition game we had against Westchester, I thought he he was he played extremely well. From he shot very well from the free throw line, and since then he's he can't seem to get you know hit his free throws again. Yeah, I don't know. His form looks fine. Um, you know, he wasn't at the line a lot. And, you know, he went one of four, and you know he had those two red at the end. Uh, and he made one out of two, and then I think he went 0 of two in overtime. You know, maybe not shooting all game. He was a little, he was a little cold. I don't know. He, you know, his form doesn't. It doesn't. It's not like Frank Elgar, like terrible form. Uh, and Frank actually was a decent free throw shooter with that shitty form. But uh, you know, it's yeah. again, we shot 78 percent for the game, which is this is really not bad. Uh, you know, we would have made a couple more, we would have won, but, uh, you know, Troy Harper went eight of eight. So, um, you know, it is what it is. We just all didn't bounce our way that game. Uh, our defense sucked for the first half and stretches of the second half. That would be my own, my only criticism of that game was again, the defense just kind of lacks days ago until the last five minutes of the game. Uh, which I don't understand why we can't stretch that out over a full game, especially when we get some of these other guys back and we're a lot deeper. Um, another interesting note is Tyshawn Miles got a lot more minutes than uh, Karenas. I don't know if I'm saying that name right, but and I'm not sure what I what I think about that. But it seems like Miles has now kind of gotten ahead in the pecking order from the the big Lithuanian. And what do you guys? Think about that, and Sam Green didn't get any get got yeah, barely any minutes. Th- I, that's a good point you good point you bring up because uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the fact that Sam Green was completely missing uh, from the Drake game. He got like what three minutes or something, uh, and uh, he was a much bigger contributor in the uh, games prior. So uh, I don't know if he was just not feeling well, uh, you know, if there was some other issues, but I did not understand. Uh, why he we didn't see more of Sam Green against Drake? Because he's he's been good. I, I I honestly he's not been like for me and Isabel standout great, but he's been pretty consistently good this year. I think I I like what I've seen of Sam Green so far. Something must have been up because he only got three minutes. You know, he played twenty against Mercer and he played well. Yeah, especially if you're not putting him in after the Harper injury. Still, you know, there's got to, there had to have been something up. You're right. But um, another thing, and from the Drake game, the last thing I probably mentioned is just again, it goes going back to that little bit of individual basketball that I started seeing. I just and again, uh, Marshall, you're right. It's not a big issue at this point. If you're ten, you know, ten games in, and then we're still seeing a lot of. Um, individual basketball that's going to be a problem but I was still disappointed to see that the only time he started scoring was maybe when Kirk Lee tried to take it over and Tremaine tried to take it over but in the end that kind of cost us too because there was a turnover in the end by Tremaine to finish the game and there was a couple of Kirk Lee takes uh, his little floaters that uh, seemed ill-advised. I have, a, I have a great point on this and I said it earlier like I don't think it's a great winning strategy when one person or one or two people are scoring all the points because even if they're having a great game and they're on fire, you know, it kind of the other three or four guys just don't know what to do. And, um, sooner or later, the guy that's hot cools off and you need the other, you need the other three or four guys to do something. And they've been out of the game 
for for you know as long as the one guy's been hot and they they just don't know what to do. So I, I like it better when you know we have one guy that's maybe a leading scorer, that's a star, but you know he's not. You know the playing individual basketball, like I, I you know, I just don't think it is um, long term a very winning strategy. So I agree. You know, I went nice to, but you know, it's, it's a double edged sword because Isabel was so hot, like he was just getting lines and shots. You want him to like, you know, keep going until he cools off. But you got to realize when you cool off. And I, and I, I thought he was making some great passes too. You know, I, I thought. You know, sometimes he was he would drive in there and he passed to Tyshawn Miles and it would go off his hands and out of bounds. And, you know, other times he'd pass to um, Lee and you know he, he was doing pretty good. But you know, you don't like it when you get that like Carmelo Anthony like the ball comes to you and just all ball movement stops type stuff. That just doesn't doesn't keep the other guys involved. Before we move on from the tournament, can I offer up uh, two more storylines I'd like Nick to comment on? Yes, Storyline story number one, in the previous podcast, Nick commented on a lack of feistiness from Spiker. And in the tournament, you got both a karate chop of the scorer's table and then a technical <laughs> yesterday. So I'd like a comment on that. I'd also like a comment on khakis and polo shirts while coaching. Go. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you know how I, what I think about the feistiness. Um I actually didn't see the karate chop. I would have loved that. Uh, which game was that one in? That was Houston. Um, we had a, I remember. Well, you know what? We yeah, look at that. Door. It was Houston. We won. What happened? <laughs> and we actually win. So, um, in, in, and I think I was the one guy on the Slack channel that was applauding the team. I thought, um, like, I thought it was a great technical. You know, I think technicals can be positive. I agree. They can be positive. It was bad timing, though. We went on a run right after that. Right after he got that tee, we, uh, you know, sometimes your players need to see that your coach is going to get your back. And, you know, when there's a couple things that happen, I think it was a bad call at the end of the half, or they called a foul on that guy, or they called a foul on somebody, and it was clearly not a foul. And there's a couple other things that happened. Uh, it wasn't a terribly appreciated game, but. A couple calls when they get our way. You want the coach to get your back. It fires you up. Sometimes, and I'm, you know, and Bruiser got his share of tees. He got too many. He, you know, probably went a little bit overboard on this. But every once in a while, you got to do it. And I was glad to see that. So I applaud uh, both of those um, outbursts. I think, um, you know, I, I like, you know, you got a, a little bit of fire under your belly gets gets you playing defense. So I thought that was good. As far as as far as the khakis are concerned, um, you know, I, I you know I, I think they I don't think they were. Um, they look like kind of like a Dockers brand, a little bit faded <laughs> color. Um, you know, maybe like a Coles twenty dollar khaki. You know, I wasn't really impressed with them. Uh, you know, I. I uh, I would I would expect a little bit better, but you know it was Lynchburg, Virginia, so maybe he was trying to mix it with the crowd. <laughs> oh man, moving away from just the uh, individual game standpoint, and I, I, one thing I guess it's going to be a little, little bit of a test for us this year is defense from a big man standpoint. Austin seems to be playing pretty good on defense. He had a couple of great blocks yesterday. Uh, and uh, understandably, our depth at this position isn't as 
good as our guard depth, uh, which we knew coming into this season and they've been pleasantly surprised. I think so far with Jarvis Dolds from an offensive standpoint and Tadas even from an offensive standpoint. But where do you guys see the, or do you guys even see any big man defense coming up in the, as the season progresses? Or do you think this is going to be something that continues to give us a problem? And uh, with that, you know, comes kind of almost the defensive rebounding and not giving the other team four shots uh, every time they come down the court. Yeah, I mean, I thought Austin was pretty good in the second half of that game, obviously. Um, you know, he was blocking a lot of shots. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd like to see him get a few more rebounds. I don't know why he's out of Maybe he's going for a block too much. Um, Tyshawn Miles, I haven't seen anything on defense from him at all. Uh, and uh, the other big man, Karinas, wasn't even in that much. So, you know, I, I think um, when our guards are getting double-digit rebounds game after game, they're, they're leading the team in rebounds, there's something going on with our big man there. Um, but, you know, I mean, Austin was great, but, you know, Doles was is Dole, I guess Doles is considered a big man, technically a four. His defense is terrible. He does not know how to play defense. And, uh, you know, I don't, maybe it's from AA. His offense is great. He could shoot the lights out. But from a defense standpoint, he, he needs to move his feet. Move your feet. And he just does not know, like, the basics of getting in the right position and moving your feet. And it's, and it's hurting us. And it's teachable. That's what's the most frustrating about that. But all the stuff that, he's not doing right now is is learned it's not like a natural thing that people go have and don't have it's it's just a learned skill that that's what's the most frustrating thing about watching it so do you think it's something he's going to pick up uh do rob or marshall do you guys uh think jarvis is going to progress from a defensive standpoint as the year goes on or yeah you you always think that freshmen are going to take a little bit longer picking up defense at the college level uh, especially, I think, the big men. I think guards are used to playing against other elite guards, but big men, I think, uh, don't face as many college-ready big men uh, when they're playing at the high school level. So learning to defend that, because, especially when you're defending guys who aren't also freshmen, upperclassmen who have been doing it for a while and have college-level big man moves. Um, so I'm not worried about it at this point. I think it'll come with time doles i think if we even go back to last season you guys know i was super excited for doles and i'm glad he's getting these minutes right away even if that is uh coming with a little bit of defensive lapse as long as it's not if that's one of the only things that's uh killing us then i'll take that to uh use as a development time uh for him uh because i think his upside is just so high that you don't want to limit him while you wait for his defense to catch up. Yeah, I mean I mean the bruiser strategy would be hit your ass on the bench until you can guard somebody. I mean if this guy was playing for bruiser, I don't care how well he shoots from three, he would not see the court. Yeah. And I don't agree with that, by the way. I'm not saying I agree with that. But that's how bad his defense is. Like he would not like Chris Fouch, I never even thought his defense was that bad. I mean it was a little bit not great, but um, you know, he he, he was punished for just slacking a little bit on defense. Dole's defense is terrible. You know, if it got a little bit better, we we would see a lot of stops. But uh, and you know, 
I don't remember if he was in at the end of the game. I don't think he was, um, which is why we kind of stepped it up. But um, somebody teach the guy how to move your feet and just focus. And, and that's was, that's all he's missing. He, he's got the attributes. He's physically strong. He's fast. He's big. One thing, I guess we should be happy about Jarvis Lowe. He's put up close to 10 points uh, throughout the tournament. And he's uh, he's been looking good. He's been hitting that three-point shot, and he wants that three-point shot. Every time he gets the ball in his hand, he, he looks for it. And he got the CAA Rookie of the Week this week. So, uh, you know, that's uh, you know two years in a row now. I feel like we've got some rookies coming in that have been contributing right away. Last year, we had Kirk contribute right away. And this year, uh, you know, Jarvis is already making an impact. So... Uh, Rob, what's your impression so far? Uh, what's your impression been of uh, Jarvis's contribution? I've been impressed, obviously, by the ability to step out and shoot it. And I think that what's interesting is that what he does so well on the offensive end, I think, makes it even more challenging on the defensive end, given that with the way basketball is going, where your four has to be able to step out and stretch the floor and or put it on the ground, that's tough to defend, especially as a freshman. Um, whereas in, in the bygone eras of basketball, your, your four and your five sat on the block and you really just had to body them. I think that now as a freshman forward, having to not only account for playing underneath the basket, but also being able to step out and guard screen and roll, screen and pops, um, it just adds a whole other dimension that as a freshman big man, you have to account for. Um, he takes advantage of it on the offensive end, which is, which is awesome. And, you know, for me, just thinking truly as a fan and truly as, you know, a highlight guy, I would love to see, you know, a four man pop in threes on the offensive end and then just <laughs> grin and bear any defensive shortcomings as long as we get the W. Do you think he still gets the start over Demir after Demir comes back? Do you think he still gets the start at the four or? What I had heard prior to, obviously, Jarvis coming out and playing really, really well these last few games offensively is that Demir has kind of that same profile. I think he uh, he hit a growth spurt at one point, and so he has a sort of a guard skill set. He can pass it. He can step out and stretch the floor. Um, and you would think that just by nature of having some college experience, albeit, uh, what are they, D2? They're not D3. They're D2 or JUCO. Um, you would think that having some higher level experience that he might have gone through those growing pains on the defensive end. So I don't know. It remains to be seen. I'll be, uh, I'll be at the game on Saturday against NJIT when he's obviously eligible to play. So, um, I'm looking forward. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you'd rather have more good players than fewer. So the fact that once everyone gets healthy and on the floor, we could have a rotation of 11. 12 guys that could step in and compete for minutes. I think that puts us in a really good place going into conference play for sure. No, absolutely. I, I, it's it's going to be interesting with how much lineup changes once uh, we have Alahan back and hopefully Miles gets healthy. Because um, I think he's been, he's had two injuries that now he's nursing. So um, one thing I did want to talk about a little bit was Tremaine Isabel's performance so far. And uh, what that means from a Kirk, and it, between him and Kirk Lee's I feel I don't know who's more lost out there without the basketball in their hand, uh, Kirk Lee or Tremaine. But uh, do you, how do you guys see this uh, 
partnership progressing as the year goes on? Because sometimes it's easy. F- uh, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but I feel like uh, it's almost like a competition between the two, which, you know, doesn't always hurt us because they're both scoring. But I don't see too many passes between the two to, for a setup. Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad you put this in here. I actually did notice, uh, especially when we were going on that run to come back, pass it to Kirk a few times. And I remember Kirk um, getting a score. I think he got fouled off a pass that Isabel gave him, and Isabel gave him a little, little, little ass pat, you know, on his way to the free throw line. And, you know, I, I, something is interesting about, I think it's different for Kirk not to be the one dominant guard on the team anymore. Um, so something does, you know, I think I noticed it in the fact that it was like, um, that isolation, individual basketball that you commented on earlier, Leon started to get like Tremaine was doing all this and Kirk kind of wanted to get the ball and kind of do his thing. And, you know, I don't know if it was a competition or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, I, I remember hearing like Tremaine and Kirk got into a skirmish and that was the reason why Tremaine was you know, off the team, sort of, or not going to practices last year. And, you know, I, I don't, but you, I, to be honest, against the Drake, other than the, you know, Tremaine going one-on-one sometimes and Kirk going one-on-one, they definitely pass the ball to each other, at least from what I saw. I saw a bunch of passes to them. But, you know, I, I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. Uh, if, if we if Winning solves a lot. And if we win games, I think these things will work themselves out. And from what I've heard is that they spend a lot of time guarding each other um, in practice. I think that probably goes for the majority of the starting five. You know, they're split half and half. Um, and so I think that what we're watching is a, a few hopefully really good players still getting used to playing with each other. You know, I'd, I'd be curious to know the guys that play the majority of the minutes at the Paradise Jam you know, how many of them had played prior to this season together? I mean, it would really just be Kirk and Kirk and Sammy. Um, and then if you throw Austin in there on, on the, in the front court. So yeah, the hope is that they complement each other. Um, you know, hopefully we saw that in the second half yesterday where one's attacking the basket, kicking out to the other, um, more weapons, again, more weapons is, is better than fewer weapons. And I think that, that if, if they can find a way to, to gel, um, that's only going to make things better for, because they're both, they're both attacking players that also have a little bit of a jump shot. And then you hope that if, if Jarvis can keep stepping outside and just hitting those spot up jumpers, if Sammy can hit the spot up jumpers, um, you know, this is where I think we really are going to miss, um, Kari being able to sit outside and just let these guys attack and open things up for them. But hopefully the two of them can, can gel. I, I, I really hope that this is just the beginning of them really starting to mesh. Yeah, I hope that that's the end result of this too. But uh, so I guess with that, we can jump to the games that we have ahead. You said you're going to be at the NJIT game, Rob? I will be at NJIT doing a weekend in New York City. Nothing like a, a getaway weekend for the Drexel Dragons. And they apparently have a really nice arena, so I'm excited to check that out. Uh, Nick, are you going to make it out to this game? Uh, fortunately, I'm not going to make it to the game, but um, I'll tune in on uh, Flow Sports if it's available. <laughs> 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 
Nick needs to drive his average cost for a flow sports game below $8. Absolutely, Rob. (laughs) So uh, we have a stretch over here, the NGIT, Lafayette, and Ryder probably before we record again. So do do we we go 3-0, guys? Um, I'm going to say win at NGIT. I want to say win at Lafayette and a loss at Ryder. 2-1. I hate predicting games. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's my forte. Uh, I'll just say in order for us to go three and O against these teams, none of these teams are world beaters. They're, they're games we should be able to win on a year to year basis. I want to see us get out and run the basketball and play the offense that we were kind of promised under Spiker. As long as we're running our offense, uh, the way we should be, regardless of what the outcome of those games are. I'll be happy. Um, obviously, if we're running and gunning and missing a lot of shots, I won't be happy. But if we get an idea of what our offense is supposed to look like, then uh, then I think we can win those games. Um, but I'll be happy with two and one. Rob, what do you think? I'll be down Careful for three and Rob. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I think that um, I think that they're going to come out strong uh, on Saturday. I I hope that. Um, they take yesterday's game with more positives than, than negative. So I, I think that we'll get a win on Saturday. And then uh, that's two games back-to-back at home. Lafayette, Ryder, um, like you guys said, I don't think they're world beaters. And hopefully we have the full rotation in place. So uh, students all being on campus, it's the first time in I think a few years we've actually gotten games in between the first home game and then January, the first conference game. So um Hopefully we can we can put on at home and we'll go three and zero in these three. Yeah, I'm 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 right there with you, uh, Rob. I, I think we're gonna go three and zero as well. I'm gonna be stay positive over here, and I think I think we definitely have the talent to beat some of these teams. And uh, any, anything else you guys had uh, before we wrap up over here? Yeah, there was one other thing. Uh, well, actually, two things. Uh, one quick shout out to the girls' team started two and uh, two and one uh, going into their Paradise Jam, uh, which is in a more paradise location in Florida uh, and not Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, but they uh, they had a couple good wins uh, after a, a kind of annoying loss to start the season at Penn State. So uh, looking to see some good things from them this year, especially since we host the CAA tournament this year. Um, but also uh, kind of surprised that this didn't get more traction uh, among the fans. Maybe it was kind of buried, but uh, Andy Katz, was interviewing Spiker while at the Paradise Jam, and Zach uh, was basically saying that there's an idea floating around, and it's not Drexel being the one who's like predominantly floating it, at least according to the way he said it. Um, but for a Big Five plus Drexel or City Six, whatever you want to call it, uh, early season tournament uh, that would be determined by the previous season's RPI, uh, and it would be potentially held at the Palestra, and it would ease, I think, Villanova's. Uh, scheduling uh obviously they're the powerhouse in the in the region so they have a lot of teams that they'll want to play so i think the idea is the way i read it having a tournament where we wouldn't necessarily play everyone and i don't know if the rest of the big five would still then play everyone or if it would go back to their like kind of round robin days or they only play two teams a year but um it's interesting to see that that idea is floating around i've always thought that a preseason tournament because i think Preseason tournaments, even though you play three games, only count as two. 
for your uh, scheduling purposes. Uh, I think that that's a good idea. And obviously I think all of us would take uh, the ability to play more of the Philly schools in a given year, uh, especially the ones that tend to duck us, uh, AKA Villanova. Yeah. If there's any, 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 anything, true to this statement and I hope there is by all I, and they could bring back that big five classic or uh, like the way even the way it used to be I'd be it'd be awesome it was one awesome day of basketball and I remember rolling out hungover on Saturday mornings to it so they can bring that back what they're talking about here is taking it even further so whereas the big five classic I think was one game per team over one day this is actually if I'm reading the article that Marshall sent out right would be a uh, three-day type deal similar to what we just came through at the Paradise Jam. Um, and I I would be very, very passionate about making this happen. I think that we obviously would have a lot more to gain than, um, you know, some of these other schools that have, uh, uh, you know, call it a, a much more rabid and, and sizable following. But to do something like this where schools alumni could come back to the city for one specific weekend, make a whole weekend out of it, you do it at the palestra where there's um, not only the space, but also the, the history and the pedigree. Um, all the local bars and restaurants could have um, some participation. I, I think it would be a huge win for everybody seeing, you know, firsthand what the, the same type setup did at um, the TBT tournament last year and, and how excited people were to come back to that. Seeing, you know, obviously a totally different conversation, but what the Sixers were able to do by making a whole event out of their palestra scrimmage, people really get excited for branded events like this. Um, so I think it would be a massive win for everybody involved. I hope that whoever the powers that be are behind this um, really come together and happen. So. Yeah, I think one thing to uh, that needs to be figured out there is I believe for these preseason tournaments, there's some kind of exemption in them that, uh, for example, like the preseason NIT at Madison Square Garden, teams aren't able to compete in that every year. I think you're only able to do it once every three or four years. So I don't know if they'll need to like come up with some way around this to make this tournament be able to happen every year. Um, but hell, even if it only happens every four years, uh, I'd be for that. But I think it makes... It makes too much sense not to do it, which is probably why it won't happen. <laughs> um, we've, we've all seen good ideas fall through and not just in basketball. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think it would be tremendous for Philadelphia basketball. I don't think the rest of the country realizes how good the basketball scene is in Philly at the college. I mean, at all levels, high school, college, and now that the Sixers are good again, the pros. Um, but compared to New York, like New York has pretty terrible college basketball. Chicago doesn't have great college basketball. They've got a team here or there that's good, but top to bottom, they don't have, Philly has, I think, probably the best of any of the major cities. So it would be great for something like this to happen and showcase that. Nick, did you have anything to add? Uh, just word on everything. Agree with everything. <laughs> Great. So if that's everything, uh, before we wrap up, I did want to give a special shout out to uh, people that joined the Dragon's Cast Slack channel. I think we're going to keep pushing that. I think it adds a whole uh, a new di- another di- uh, dimension to probably some of the games with 
watching with people that are just as passionate about it uh, as we are. So I'm going to try to keep pushing that and probably put it in the show notes as well. Uh, and, uh, and sure, you try to get more people on there. But uh, Rob, I another shout out for you too, man, because thank you know you kind of helped us out in the clutch over here where you were old man down and you jumped on last minute notice, and I appreciate that. Thanks, Robbie, to fill in anytime. Phil, Phil's a slacker, and he still owes me money from that Rodney Williams bet. <laughs> <laughs> the man's a homeowner now; his money is uh, tied up in property. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs>